0: Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Good morning, everyone. Uh, let's begin with the chant. Uh, if you know this
1: chant, just chant along with me.
0: Om Asatoma Sadgamaya tamaso ma jyotir gamaya, mrityor ma amritam gamaya, avir avir maedhi, hrutrayate dakshinam mukham, tenam ampahinityam, tenam Om Shanti 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 Lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness to light. Lead us from death to mortality. O Lord, guide us through and through, and never protect us with thy loving presence. Om peace, peace, peace. Well, it's
1: nice to be back in San Diego after some time. You know, we just had a Halloween, and um, it was a month ago, I believe. And someone was telling me it's very interesting that, you know, when we take our final vows after we've been in the order and joined the monastery or the convent, uh, we become swamis or pravajikas nuns. And after about say twelve to fifteen years, when the seniors think you're ready, you take your final vows. And afterwards, you immediately go begging for food for three days. And someone's telling me, you know, Swami, Halloween's the only time of the year where you can just wear this and go house to house and begging for food. And it's okay, you won't get arrested. And then he said, and when people ask you what you are, you just tell them, you're a pumpkin. So... Today's topic is an Ayurveda and Vedanta. Maybe by a show of hands, how many people here are familiar with Ayurveda? Wow, a lot of you. Why did you even bother coming today? <laughs> you know, I think we're all spiritual aspirants that we come here and we're all trying to progress through our practices. But there's sometimes when you feel that you're not sort of in sync mentally or physically That can be very difficult to do your practices. And you know the goal of Vedanta is to experience our unlimited infinite self. And when problems arise, there are some who say that we should transcend them to go back to the source of who you are. And this can work for some people. But for others, it can be very difficult at times, to be able to transcend your problems, especially if your problems are with your body and mind, and your attention is constantly caught in it. So it was last summer, this this last summer, I actually had gone through a difficult period. You know, in spiritual life, it's just not you join a monastery and everything you're going to cruise and you're going to experience God. We all go through ups and downs, and I think this is normal in spiritual life. And I was going through my own ups and downs, especially in the beginning of the summer. My practices felt dry. I didn't have. I, there was, I was feeling a lack of motivation, and I just when nothing's going right, you just start eating. And what do you guys find? You what do you do when when nothing's working for you? What do you end up doing? Anybody eat? Okay, but when you need something, a solution of some sort, what do you try to do? Watch a film. Okay, what about prayer? Okay, so prayer usually is something that becomes like the last resort. We usually go to God after everything else has exhausted itself. There's nobody we can go to. There's nothing that's working for us. Then we end up going to God. So in the prayers, I started just praying, you know, because there's nothing else to do. And during that summer, I remember an Ayurvedic physician came and visited our temple. And in the course of the doctor's visit, We had this long conversation, and I told her some of the imbalances that I was experiencing. And then she told me, you know what, you don't have to live with these imbalances. And she gave me some simple techniques and things to do. And within five weeks, my cholesterol, which was 266, went to 191. My LDLs, which was 179, went to 116. And I lost about 15 to 20 pounds. And I felt lighter, I felt more centered, and I was able to focus on my meditations and deepen my practices. And sometimes we talk about Ayurveda as it's it's about the body and mind. Well, in Vedanta, today what we're going to speak about is trying to get centered. So that when we're out of balance, how do we get back into balance? But it doesn't stop there. It's about taking every experience and directing it back to the source, the divine. So today what I feel is by following simple Ayurvedic principles and doing some yoga asanas, you can begin to understand and change your own body-mind constitution. And this can be a great aid in your spiritual practices. So, to me, one of the discoveries I had during the summer is that for Vedanta to really thrive, especially in this culture, we need to have the aids of the lifestyle of Ayurveda and also doing some of the practices of yoga so we can deepen our spiritual practices and our philosophy in Vedanta. These can be our two pillars, supporting pillars. To enrich our Vedantic experience. You know, Swami Vivekananda would say, Nayam Atma Balahi Nena Labhya. The Atman cannot be realized by the weak. Means we cannot be weak physically, mentally, emotionally. We have to strengthen ourselves. After all, if you're sick, guess where your attention is going? It's going to the body. How do you expect to transcend the body? The body has to become transparent. And in order for that to happen, it has to be healthy. So, Ayurveda is defined as the science of life. Ayur means life, and Veda means knowledge or science. It's a system of healthcare that integrates the body, mind, and spirit. And it's based on the Atharva Vedas, which were written about 5,000 years ago. It's a conscious, preventative-based system, which means it's up to you to become aware of what's going on within you and respond according to your constitution. It's really simple, actually. It says that each of us are born with a unique nature A certain balance of energies. And when we're in balance, when these energies are in balance, we're in harmony. Our bodies and minds are running at optimal level. And we have clear awareness within ourselves and around us. This is called the sattvic mind. A mind which is centered, balanced, and you're feeling joyful. Now when these elements go out of balance, when there's a turbulence or constriction somewhere, we experience dis-ease. And you guys are familiar, Buddha had said, life is suffering. You guys have heard of this, right? Do you know the term that he used for suffering? Do you, anybody know what the Sanskrit term for that is? Dukkha. And what's the opposite of dukkha? Sukha. Okay. The literal translation for sukkha means to be at ease. So the opposite of sukha is dukkha, which means to be at dis-ease or uneasiness. This is what Buddha was referring to, actually, when he says life is dukkha. There's an uneasiness, there's a dis-ease that we're constantly experiencing in life. And we have to get ourselves centered, back to balance. So, I'm going to open up a question to the audience just to help get this more concrete. What are some of the symptoms that you guys experience when you're out of balance? Anybody? Just start throwing things out there. What? Indigestion. Okay. Sinus pressure. Fatigue. Anybody else? Anxiety. Good. Stress. Stress. Okay. Okay. And then what are some things you do about it? Get back into balance. Meditate. Swim. Swim. Okay. Good. Walk. Exercise. exercise. Great. So what Ayurveda says basically, first of all, these imbalances, what do these imbalances do to? I'm just going to mention some of these imbalances here. They can be due to age. As we age, we start to get thrown off. Stress. Anything that we find discomfort to us. Diet. Sleep. Sleep overworking. Relationships are big things that throw us out of balance. Careers. So basic principle of healing in Ayurveda holds that to create balance within the body and mind, we have to alter our diet and lifestyle to counteract the changes in this external environment. Nature's constantly changing and it's affecting us. It's like we're always walking on a tightrope where we're constantly trying to keep balance. So, how do we try to keep balance? Well, first, we have to start observing. We have to start registering what each experience is doing to us. How does it affect us? Most of us kind of like live our lives sort of like without being aware, without just mindlessly. So... Maybe a question we can ask ourselves is, is this experience making me feel heavier or lighter, like in the foods we eat? Is it filling me with more energy? Am I coming alive? Or do I feel lethargy, or am I becoming dead? And sometimes we feel that with relationships. Another question could be, do I feel more cloudy or clear? And this sometimes can be affected by what we're watching, what we're taking in through our senses. So the whole point of Ayurveda today is to give us tools to detect when we're going out of balance and how we come back into balance before dis-ease creates disease. Once you're in balance, what happens? You feel a sense of rhythm, openness, centeredness connectedness, and our attention starts to go away from our negative addictions, from our negative emotions, uh, troubling thoughts. And it's easier to turn our awareness back to the divine, back to God. So ultimately, when we are in this balanced state, our suffolk nature, what begins to happen? Our positive core begins to emerge, We talk, sometimes you hear about this, the divine Atman is Satchitananda. Have you guys heard that? It's consciousness, uh, consciousness, um, existence bliss. And it's reflected in this world as truth, goodness, and beauty. How does that truth, goodness, and beauty reflect itself in our centered mind, in our pure mind? It reflects itself differently, maybe as artist, as creativity that starts to emerge. And as this begins to emerge, we feel, start to feel more like the witness. We start to detach from all these things that are troubling us. And behind those changes, we start to experience a presence. A presence that was always there. When Swami Sarva Priyananda talked, he said that presence is experienced in your waking state, in your dream state, in your dreamless sleep state, that same presence was experienced when you are a youth. It was experienced when you are married. It's experienced when people pass away. There's been that constant presence. And that presence starts to become more tangible to you. So, how do we start to begin to experience that presence? Well, let's begin by first understanding what this body and mind software is. Let's get to know our own body and mind. In Sanskrit, they call it the Kshetra and Kshetragya. Kshetra means the body is the field. And Kshetragya is there's a knower behind this field. Now, each of us is experiencing through these unique and different instruments, what we call these body-mind setup. But we know, ultimately, when we strip all of this away, there is one infinite consciousness. And you are that infinite consciousness. And that consciousness is experiencing itself through a variety of different species. What makes each experience different? Let's think about this. What makes one consciousness experiencing itself through a variety of different species? So many species are here right now. But what makes each experience different is the instrument. The mode of perception that consciousness is experiencing itself through. The dolphin, the bees, human beings, are each experiencing the same consciousness. They're each experiencing the same universe, but they're interpreting it differently. So a dolphin will experience this universe through sonar. Bees experience this universe as ultraviolet light. Humans We are all having human experiences. And what does that mean? We're experiencing taste, smells, sounds, images, sensations. But what makes us different is that we interpret, personalize, and react differently. Let me repeat that again. Through our body-mind software, we're experiencing the same universe— The same images, the same sensations, but we interpret. Someone cuts you off. To someone, it doesn't matter. It doesn't register in their mind. To another person, they personalize it. They're cutting me off, and then they react differently. So two different people can see the same person or eat the same thing, but they react differently. For example, rap music. For some people, it's just noise. And for other people, it's a source of enjoyment. We had uh two people, uh two brothers um in Qualcomm in San Diego. They're both engineers who got laid off. When they got laid off, one of them simultaneously together. One of the brothers started to um get really angry, and he wrote a letter to management about his bitterness and anger. The other brother reacted in a way that he just felt depressed, and he just went into hiding. And, you know, in India, when sometimes the monks are asked, where do you want to join, what center do you want to go to? What happens is there's, there are two people that both said, we want to go to the Himalayas, to Mayavati. We have a center in the Himalayas. After two weeks, one of them was really thriving in it. They were like sitting down, meditating, they're really progressing. The other person said, you know what? I can't stand this place. There's nobody to talk to. I can't just talk to the trees. I need someone to respond, someone to something to talk to. So he went back to Calcutta and he felt at home there. So we we all have these different body-mind systems. They're like our softwares. And as we get to know our body-mind system, we understand that there are experiences that open us up to greater awareness and experiences which constrict or diminish our awareness. So let's start to investigate further into our own body-mind software. Our body and mind, according to Ayurvedic and to the Hindu practices, are made of five elements. And before we get into these five elements, I want you to go from your left analytical brain to your right creative brain. Okay, My father is a scientist. Every time I talk to him, everything's got to be concrete, evidence-based, detailed. Today let's go into the symbolism, the analogies, and try to understand things from that part of our mind. So our body and mind is made up of these what they call five natural elements called Mahabhutas. Everything in the universe is made out of these principles. Space, they're made of space, Akasha, air vayu, fire, which is agni, water, jala, and earth, prithivi. These five elements are known as the five Mahabhutas. They're the building blocks of everything that we experience in the universe, including our own bodies and minds. Now, these elements stand for principles and qualities in the universe. So let's try to understand what these elements mean space akasha space is like the canvas it's the potential for consciousness to experience to manifest itself into any object it can be from a subtle vibration to a mental thought to a physical object you need space in the body space is necessary for things to flow like blood, energy, and communication. And when things are flowing, we say we're healthy. When things are blocked, we say we're diseased. In the mind, space represents the space between our thoughts. As you guys who've studied Vedanta know that we have a thought after thought, and in between each thought, there's a certain gap, a certain space. And that space can give rise to intuitive Creative, spontaneous insights that flash and they're the opposite of our habituated patterns of thinking. They come from the divine itself and they're sort of like imagine you're in a dark room and a flash of lightning flashes through. All of a sudden, for a split second, everything becomes revealed in that room. That's an insight that comes from your intuitive capacity between your thoughts directly from the divine. And it's not linked to any previous thought. And it doesn't have any correspondence with the next thought. It's just an intuitive flash. And so this space, space is symbolic for all possibilities to occur. And the first thing that comes about in space is movement. We think of like vibration. Think of the OM. And movement is represented by vayu, the air. Air quality is the principle of movement, the air element. It represents all the movement within space. As the animating force of life, it's present in all movements, like your circulation, prana, and movements of thought. You can sometimes feel it like the wind, but there is no form. And when there's too much air, too much movement, we get friction or heat. And this leads us to the third principle, which is called Agni or fire, the element of fire. And this principle of fire stands for transformation or conversion. It transforms one thing into another. In the mind, it represents the digestion of our thoughts into understanding? Like right now, your mental agni, your mental fire, does it have the capacity right now to digest the ideas that I'm giving to you? Can you digest them into understanding? In our bodies, that fire represents the digestion of food into energy. And when there's too much heat, like when you exercise too much, you create sweat or water And that's the water principle, which is known in Sanskrit as jala, the element of jala. The principle of cohesion, bonding. Anything you see being held together in the universe has this cohesive property of water, the principle of water. It bonds things. It gives it more shape and form. Now we're going from the most subtle to more and more concrete, to more and more physical And what happens, for example, when you add water to a recipe? What what begins to happen? Thinner. Yes. Things start to stick together. You start to get form. In our minds, this water principle represents the cohesiveness of thought. Thought after thought, when they begin to stick together, it starts to form into patterns. It starts to give us meaning. And... The more cohesive things get, the more structure you have, then you get the last principle, the principle of earth, prithvi. And that's the principle of structure, grounding, support. So the earth element expresses itself as solidity, mass, and form. Anything that's solid that you can interact with, that you can touch, and has structure, that is the earth element. So, all of these principles, these elements, again, we said, symbolize how the physical universe came into existence. Sometimes they're referred to also as the five states of matter. But, what does all of this have to do with us? Okay, That's the question we should be asking now. Well, all of these elements, I said, are inherent in everything in the universe, including us. So, we all have these elements in us. We just have them in different proportions in us. Some people have more space and air. And others may have more fire in them. Again, we're getting to the symbology. And you're going to start to see how this is going to start getting more concrete. We as individuals come with a formula. Our unique combination of these five elements. They're like our thumbprints. It's who we are. It's why an oak tree can only become an oak tree and not a maple tree. It's why an artist may not be able to do accounts, and an accountant may not be able to draw. We're determined at birth according to our own swa bhava, our own inner predisposition. We have certain traits that we have born that are, want to express itself through as we go on through life. So, most people have a predominance of one or two of these elements and less of the others. So, like a recipe, what happens? You're going to taste like, you're going to act like your predominant qualities and be less influenced by the other qualities. And now, these elements, these five elements that we talked about, get organized into three principles the principle of movement, the principle of transformation, and the principle of structure. And these are called doshas for sentient beings. What is our dosha? Well, simply speaking, our dosha represents our own body-mind type. It's sort of like the software that runs our body and minds. It's responsible for the way that we interpret things, the way we assimilate things, and also the way we eliminate things. As we talk about Ayurveda, you're going to find that elimination is also a big process. They, when you meet an Ayurvedic physician, one of the first things they talk about is how's your poop? Okay? They, are you having these nice big logs or are you having these short pellets? And they, it's really important. So we'll, we'll, maybe we'll get into that. Um, if you come in with the elements of space and air as your predominant elements, you are what considered avata. If you have more fire and water as your predominant elements, you are a pitta. And if your predominant elements are earth and water, you are a kapha. These are the three main body types, according to Ayurvedic physicians, Ayurvedic rishis who observed human nature for many years and classified them into these three types. And they're similar to our Western principles of ectoderm, mesoderm, and endoderm. And as I keep reading about this, first of all, let's understand that each of us has each of these doshas within us, but we have a certain ratio, a certain balance, and we may be predominantly one more than the others. For vatas, which have the elements of space and air, we find that there's a lot of movement, fluidity, and there's a sense of hollowness. When you think of space and air, you think of also hollowness. And when these elements come together, they form the vata dosha. So they're responsible for all the movements in sentient beings. And they could be the movements of our heart palpitations, uh, our eye movements, the movement of thoughts. Now, if you have the predominance of vata in you, what is your physical characteristics? So when you think of the predominant elements of space and air, we think of these characteristics. Okay? Just put this in the back of your mind. Lightness, cold, dry, irregular, quick. Physically... Avata would express themselves as someone who has a thin and light frame. Remember, think of hollowness. They're light sleepers. Because of that space element there, they're sensitive to anything that travels in space. So their essence of their nature is to feel. They're sensitive to the energies around them. And they react to the slightest movement, like gazelles. They have a very subtle nature and they can be much more aware of the subtleties around them and they're constantly noticing things. As I speak about this, try to understand maybe what is your dosha type. They have cold hands and feet because of the lack of heat that they have within them. They have dry skins and dry hands. Because of that air movement, air creates this dryness and they move and talk very quickly. I would be considered a vata type. So as you watch me, watch my movements, I do tend to speak very quickly. And um, the air element keeps us in constant physical movement. And sometimes with the vata types, they can't sit still. So they're constantly moving. They're moving their pencils, they're moving their feet. And also their nature, wind is sometimes unpredictable. Sometimes it goes in spurts. And sometimes it just doesn't move at all. Similar to vata's stamina. Sometimes, also our nature is to go in quick energetic spurts. And then we need to rest. We have no energy at all. Mentally, vatas have quick and active minds. Their minds are constantly racing with so many thoughts. They can never stick to one thing for a long time. It's why they have what we call weak memories. They're really quick to learn, but they're also quick to forget. They're questioners. They like to question things. They like to spend time theorizing and overanalyzing. You know, because they have so many thoughts, it's why they have trouble coming to any conclusions or decisions. Because they can't stick with one thing. They can think of all the pros and cons, but yet not come to any conclusions. They're the type, when you go to a restaurant and they're looking at a menu, they can never decide what to order. And finally, they resist cultural norms. They don't like structure. Remember, they don't have any earth element. Earth is grounding. So they don't like to be grounded. They don't have that structure. So they don't like to conform. And they're always thinking outside of the box. They're like artists and musicians. So, when you think of vata, think of movement. The next dosha type is pitta. And pitta, remember, has the uh, essence of fire and water. And when you think of fire and water, what do you think of? You think of heat. Steam, yes, that's good. Also, you think of illumination. They illumine things, that fire illumines. Also, it cooks things, it transforms things. So pittas have the ability to cook things in their system. They can actually separate and assimilate what's good for them and eliminate what's not. It's the process of transformation within the body. These are some of the qualities of a pitta when we think of pitta. Physically, they have medium builds. They have sharp features, sort of reddish complexion because of that fiery component. They don't really lose weight or gain weight. They have strong digestions. And you know what? They're considered the goat of the human species. Because of that agni, that fire, they can eat whatever they want and they can digest. Vatas, we have less fire so we don't have strong digestions. We have to be careful in what we eat. That's why we have to really cook things to be able to help our digestion. Pittas also perspire very easily because of that heat. They tend to be physically hot all the time. And whatever they do, they do intensely. They play hard, they work hard, and they vacation hard. If you've ever gone on vacation with a pitta, you notice that what they do is they tend to... I I went to uh, Universal Studios, one of our jobs to uh, to go to Universal Studios with some of the visiting guests, with a pitta person. They planned right when it opens, 10 o'clock, we can go on this ride, then next ride, then next ride, and we finished the whole thing by 3 o'clock. Very efficient. Mentally, Pittas have sharp intellects. They have that fiery mind. They're great problem solvers, and they have great critical thinking skills. They also, when you meet a Pitta person, they also have a forceful way of expressing themselves. They're very self-confident. They're known as the risk takers, the decision makers, the leaders, the CEOs. They're the types that are like when you go the emergency uh, physicians. They have to make decisions right on the spot. They're intense and they can discriminate. While a vata person will go on and on, talking, 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 a pitta person will say, okay, let's get to the point. All right? They're decisive, organized, and efficient. And they are driven. They're ambitious, competitive, and they love challenges. And I forgot if they hear, like, let's say, as an animal... If they hear a gunfire, avata like gazelles, will run away because they're fearful. Pittas, they'll say, oh, that means food. They just growl and devour. Someone like Steve Jobs would be typical of a pitta nature. The next dosha quality is kaphas. By the way, just by a show of hands, um, how many of you would think you're vatas, avata type? Okay, what about pittas? Okay, good. We're sort of having a nice blend here. Now, kaphas. Kafas, remember, have the elements of earth and water. So when you think of earth and water, what do you think of? Mud. Yes, mud. It, it's got that grounding component, stability. And when water goes into earth, it expands, it accumulates. So it's got this structure. So it's this, it's the binding energy within our bodies and mind. So physically... When we think of the qualities, here's the qualities we think about with Kaffa. Physically, Kaffas tend to be more heavyset. They're solid. Their frames are big bones. They have soft muscle. And they're strong and firm. They have strong and firm bodies. Because of that earth element, they also tend to gain weight easily. They usually have smooth skin, oily hair, and milky eyes. Because of that earth element, at grounding, they have good stamina. Also, they are slow movers. Compared to the vatas, which are fast, kaphas are slow movers. And whenever they move, they're very deliberate. They express themselves deliberately. They move in a deliberate purpose. If you look at cars, volvos would be like your kaphas. They're reliable, comfortable, steady, but not fast. Vatas, like me, would be like Ferraris. We're fast and agile. Um, but, um, yeah. And Pittas would be like Mustangs. They're powerful and aggressive. Kaffas tend to have very deep uh, sleepers. They're very, uh, they get really good sleep. Mentally, Kaffas can be easygoing, patient, and calm. They're methodical. They are slow to learn. But whatever they learn, they soak into their body. They embody their knowledge. So the result is they actually live their knowledge. They're slow to learn, but they are long to remember. So they actually make great teachers. They love structure. Again, the earth element coming out. They love routines. And they are loyal. They can be your best friends. But once they're angered or hurt, they can take a long time to forgive. An example of someone who would be a Kafa type, from a celebrity standpoint, would be like Oprah Winfrey. How many here are are Kafas? Do they think they're Kafas? Okay. So, when in balance, when these doshas are in balance, you find the energies within you are in perfect harmony. There's a perfect natural balance within you. It's called the ideal proportion of the doshas and this balance was determined at your birth. It's like we have an ideal body weight, we also have an ideal ratio with these doshas that was determined at conception according to Ayurvedic science. So basically health or optimal living is making lifestyle choices that keep you in that balance so that with that balanced constitution, you have maximum power and resilience to face distress. And the way you would find out your dosha nature, one way is to basically take quizzes. There's like at the Chopra Center or various ways you can take quizzes. But the best way is to actually go see an Ayurvedic physician. One in balance, what happens? The divine shines through your unique personality. And it illumines your individual gifts. Remember I said your infinite nature, Satchitananda, is illumining your pure, balanced mind. And it expresses maybe the truth, goodness, beauty. How does that express itself within you, within your balanced nature? Well, let's take a look at what the gifts are. For vata person, your gifts are, you're energetic, you have creative ideas, you're adaptable, You're spontaneous. To me, these are the embodiment of divine creativity. You can liven up any party you go to. And when your minds are calm, you can actually reach in between the gaps of your thought, intuit ideas, directly download from the divine. You can intuit nature, know trends that are going to happen, and how the direction of things are going to go. You can perceive. What others can't, and you can think outside the box. For pittas, when they're in balance, what are their gifts? Well, they're sharp and bright. They're good decision makers. They're charismatic. They're the leaders, entrepreneurs, the movers and shakers. They're the innovative type. To me, they're the embodiment of Vishnu. They know how to manage and how to lead. Swami Vivekananda, I believe, was a more of a pitta type. Pittas have that ability to discriminate, viveka. They can take what is good, eliminate what's not. And kaphas, what are their gifts? They are steady. They're supportive and accepting. They're very forgiving. And they have the sense of binding, loving, and caring. They're content with the way things are, and they're strong. In some sense, they're sort of like the office managers. They're big teddy bears. They're the ones that go to work every day, keep everything glued together, and at the end of 20 years, they get a plaque, what would we do without you? They're the ones that give structure to the organization. So these are the gifts that manifest when you have a balanced nature when your mind is balanced, when your energies are in balance. Now, what happens when you're out of balance? Well, when the doshas or energies are out of alignment, it usually means we're doing something to aggravate the doshas or energies by disrupting the balance within. And can anybody give an example how you would aggravate your energies or your doshas? What's something that can aggravate this within you? Overworking, Overworking, yes. Uh, diet means what? Diet. Overeating, something, eating something different. Okay. Anybody else? Freeways. So here, stress. Yeah. So, and you know, traveling also is something that can aggravate your system. This is known as vrikati, your current state of imbalance. What's happened is that through all your experiences, through all the life experiences that you've done, it's the degree of how out of balance you've become. And you're much more vulnerable to dealing with stress and developing symptoms depending on the degree of how out of balance you are. And how do these imbalances express themselves? Well, for Vantas, when that nice, soothing, gentle quick mind starts to gain a lot of momentum and becomes a tornado, when it has too much air within it, too much movement, because of its irregular lifestyle, it means it has all this excess energy. And this energy makes the quick mind into a spinning and turbulent mind. And this can occur a lot, a lot of times, when you're in a rush. My name was Hari. Hari. And so they used to say in our, in our seminary, Hari, don't be in a hurry. Because what happens? You tend to be forgetful when you, start to, uh, when you start to go out of balance. And let's look at the symptoms. Remember, in Ayurveda, a lot of it is about preventative measures. So they actually have six degrees of, um, of going out of balance. And usually what happens is you go to the Western medical physician when you're in stage number five and six. You start to see the physical symptoms. So what they're trying to do here is can you detect the imbalances that start to occur mentally or energetically before it gets into your physicalness. So for vatas, the symptoms are you can have increased forgetfulness. That spinning mind becomes forgetful. You're running around the house. You forget what you're doing. You can't find the keys. Things come in one ear and they go out the other. That excess air element make things scattered and you have all this dissipated energy running within you. And because you don't have any earth element, you have no structure, so it doesn't cling to your memory. So your movements become erratic and unfocused. If that keeps happening, you start to have symptoms of increasing worries anxieties, and impatience. You know, vatas are known to be born warriors, not warriors, warriors, warriors. They they're the type that always think, what if, what if, what if? We're self-doubters. We wake up becoming anxious about the day, worried about how we're gonna get things done. And when stress comes, what starts to happening? We start to blame ourselves. What did I do wrong? If it continues, what happens is we get insomnia, we start to have difficulty sleeping, our minds are constantly racing, we want to go to sleep, the body's tired, but the mind doesn't allow us to sleep. And physically, it can manifest into digestive problems. Again, that air element starts to give us constipation, and because of the dryness of the wind, our elimination starts to become like these dry, hard pellets and we get all skin shakiness and chills. So, it's what happens when the scattered energy comes within you. That's vervatas. For pittas, what happens when we go out of balance? Well, again, when you think of pittas, what are you thinking about? What's the elements that come to your mind? Heat, fire, right? So, what happens when that fire starts to become a forest fire? it starts to burn down anything in its vicinity. So watch out if you're with the pitta, because you can also get burnt as well. The indicators for pittas, sometimes they become intensely angry. Um, Weather, if it's hot weather, spicy food, alcohol, even too much sex are all things that are heating and can cause pittas to go off balance. They manifest as irritability they become excessively judgmental and critical. These are the symptoms to be careful of. Another term. Have you ever heard of the term hanger? It's when you're hungry and angry. It creates hanger. So if you're living with the pitta, make sure they're fed on time. Otherwise, they start to develop a sharp tongue. And like a dragon that can throw out fire, They can throw out fire with their words and they can burn you. They can become aggressive and overly competitive because they start to get very narrow in their focus. They're perfectionists. They can't let things go. So what starts to happen? They're pushy. They're intimidating. And they're bullies. They're ruthless in wanting their ways. So a beloved leader you know, who who's like a Steve Jobs, can become a tyrant if their is out of balance. They start to get self-centered and they make decisions based on the rivalries. Physically, that heat turns within and it can manifest as indigestion, heartburn, or acid reflex. It's the basis of what they call itis, any itis, whether it's Tendinitis, arthritis, any inflammation means you have too much heat in your system. This is the imbalances for pittas and for kaphas. When you're out of balance means, again, kaphas are what elements? Earth and water. So we, they have a lot of binding. So when they feel heavy, they can't move, like cold weather. The indicators are that, especially that, that groundedness that they had as kaphas turns into dullness, heaviness, lethargy. You know, they have these, I don't want to do anything. Don't bother me. They'll just say, whatever, it doesn't matter. They go into a shell and don't want to talk to anybody. Physically, they start to accumulate. They get heavy. And they start to also accumulate water, congested. Everything starts to soak into them like a sponge. They're absorbing everything. And what do they start? They start craving sweets, dairy foods. Basically, it's your comfort foods. And they can become very needy at these times because they're starting, starting to expand. You want to hold on to anything that you feel can give you support. What are things that they grasp onto? They can grasp onto relationships, things that are not working, but they can't let them go. And when stress comes up, how do they deal with it? They say, I don't want to deal with it. For Pitta, when stress comes up, they say it's your fault. <laughs> so these are the imbalances that we're starting to see, the balances and imbalances. And in summary here, Vata people, when they're out of balance, they feel anxious and fear. Pitta expresses the imbalances, anger and lashing out, and Kaphas express it as depression. So what starts to happen is when you're out of balance, what do you begin to notice? That you naturally crave for things that only make it worse. And this is because we're listening to what we call our unbalanced or unripe ego. It's the childlike ego within us that it's saying that I want more and more and more of this. That's how it deals with problems. We're not listening to that higher intelligence within. So, when vatas, when they're out of balance, their nature, what's their nature of avata? Is movement. So, what do they crave when they're out of balance? More movement. They crave activities, distractions, caffeine, and sugar. They crave sugar because it gives them the spikes and drops. They want, you know what they want to do? They want to stay in constant motion as a way of dealing with their problems. These are their life rafts when the waves of life get too choppy. So again, according to Ayurveda, it's when you start to notice the subtle imbalances first, that's the time to do something about it, to bring yourself back into balance. So these dis-ease, they start off again at the very subtle levels, like irritation, forgetfulness, or lethargy. When these signs come up, just start to become aware you are moving into imbalance and then from these subtle levels they move into our energetic body and eventually into our physical body. So by the time you see a doctor, all these issues are already deeply into your tissues. So Ayurveda says, the problem is issues with your tissues, okay? (laughs) For some of us this can be late in the healing process. and let's look at this uh, healing as a continuum process. Western doctors are necessary, but so is what I'm talking about Ayurvedic doctors. If you see it as a spectrum, Ayurveda is to help us to, as a preventative measures to get to know when these imbalances are coming. But when they're too late at certain times, then you have to go to the Western doctors to alleviate these pains. So once we detect our imbalance, the question is, how do we now restore balance? Again, let's remember very quickly, every experience is constantly changing the internal climate within our body and mind. Eating changes the internal climate of your body and mind. Movements, relationships, environments, climate, all have an effect on your internal balance. Hot weather can aggravate pittas. Cold weather can make kaphas more lethargic. So if being out of balance means we've accumulated too much movement, too much heat, or too much earth, then it sounds like to get back into balance, we have to do the opposite of what our unripe ego is telling us. We should give ourselves what we are lacking. So let's look at this. I forgot to mention this. This is just a side note here. If you look at relationships, basically, vatas and pittas do very well with kafas. Kafas are balancing. For these types. And it's another thing, point is if a kapha is with a pitta type, a kapha's have that more maternal type, they're the, like the divine mother type. Pittas are more like your Shiva type, they're kind of like your parental type, you know, like the very manly type. So the relationship with that is like Sita with Ram, kind of like you're more the servant to your partner. Whereas with the vata type, the vatas are more childlike in their nature. So the kapha's. In relationship with the vatas, they treat them more as child. They're more nourishing. They're more kind of like the nurtures of of that relationship. Okay, so going back to balancing, how do we restore balance? So let's very quickly look. Vatas have what elements? Air and what? Air and space. What are they lacking? Earth, fire, and water. So what that means then is vata's need to get grounded, they need to get hydrated, and they need to get heated to get them back into balance. What about pittas? What are pittas, what are the elements of a pitta? Fire and water. What are they lacking? Earth, space, and air, correct. So they need coolness, stability, that earth stability, and the lightness of air. And kaphas, what are their elements? Kaphas are what? Earth and water. What are they lacking? Fire, space and air. So they need stimulation, movement and warmth. So to balance a Vata, for example, means essentially you have to get them grounded. They need to get centered. What are some things they can do? Well, they can calm the mind through meditation. And when doing meditation, they really respond to sound. So it's nice to chant a mantra. Even sometimes, they say, having a sound like Om in the background while you're meditating helps to stabilize you, helps to give you something to hold on to, to ground you. Sometimes even flutes have a calming effect for Vata. They need to get into regular routines and regular habits. Because they don't have an earth component, they like to be spontaneous and do whatever they want, but they need to get grounded. So they need structure. To prevent them from being so spontaneous all the time. Because it leads to erratic sometimes. They need discipline. And they need to stick with a same schedule. Sameness means saneness for the vatas. Okay. And they need to develop a structure that works for them. With their energy levels. Because their energy goes in spurts. They're explosive at times. So they need to work a little. Eat a little. And rest a little. Work a little, eat a little, and rest a little. They can't just go on from a 9-to-5 type schedule. It doesn't work for them. And they need to eat foods that ground them, that are warm and easy to digest, like oatmeal, soups, cooked vegetables, not salads. They need to actually steam their vegetables. Remember, they don't have much agni, heat, in their digestion, so they need to help their digestion. Sometimes even ginger and lemon teas enlivens the digestive system. And they need to stay in warm and moist climates. Um, For pittas, what are some things that pittas can do to get grounded and stay balanced? Well, they need to stay cool. So what are some things they can do? They need to let go of the need to be in control and just surrender. They need to be in more cooler climates. Eat regular foods that are like things like cucumbers, cooling foods, salads. They need to eat the salads, the smoothies, not spicy foods that increase their agni. Sweets are a good counterbalance for hot foods. And they need to practice being non-judgmental, non-competitive, and learn just to be the witness. Also, what helps for pittas is to get out in nature, to get walk in nature, it reduces, when you walk with your bare feet, it reduces your inflammation. And it gets you grounded. And it sort of, we talked about yesterday, it resets your circadian rhythms. It has a cooling effect. Another last thing is massages. Getting massages with cooling oils, like coconut and olive oils, can help relax pittas. And for kafas, they need to keep moving. Their problem is they're not, they need movement to get themselves balanced. So exercise, movement, they need to seek variety. Opposite of the vatas, they need to do something for a while and then do something else to create movement. They need to get out and socialize to reduce their sweets and start taking low-fat diets, light foods, and spicy foods to get them moving. And for them, they really need to be in warmer climates, like deserts. So, Basically, Ayurveda uses these five methods as a way to balance yourself. But for foods, if you have anything that you eat, if it has these six tastes, it can help give you a sense of fullness. The six tastes are sweets, astringents, and bitter, which are called cooling effects, sour, salty, and pungent, which are heating flavors. So if you have all these six flavors... Within the meal that you take, it gives you a feeling of satiation. Herbs are also a big part. There's too many herbs to mention, but triphala, turmeric, asphagandha. These are things that can help lower or increase your dosha type, depending on where you are. Um, Massages do help. Yoga, pranayama, meditation. Your lifestyle changes. And your climate also helps. So... Basically here, what I've done is giving you sort of an overview of the kind of like Ayurvedic science. it's, It's like medical school. There's a whole science behind this. And the reason why knowing your dosha is important is because once you understand your dosha, then you can understand what are the triggers that create imbalances and how to get back into balance. But, you know, it doesn't stop here. I'm just going to go one step further. Each experience not only should center us, but eventually it should take us back to our divine self. You've come to Vedanta to, to experience, experience God or experience your true divine self. So this is only halfway in the process. In the next talk, I'd love to give a talk about how each experience can get us back to our divine self. But we need to get centered first. Because if we're not centered, Ramakrishna gave an analogy, it's like the mongoose trying to go up the hole, but it's got a rock tied to its tail, so as soon as it gets up, it gets dragged back down. And quickly, I'm just going to mention this here, as we get centered, a question was asked by M, the author of the um, Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, sir, how can we fix our mind on God? And Sri Ramakrishna just gave these five commandments, repeat God's name, Keep holy company, go into solitude sometime and think of God, discriminate between the real and the unreal, and do all your duties, but keep your mind on God. And if you're a vata nature, repeating God's name, it's good for everybody, but particularly good for you because sound has a good way of grounding you. Keeping holy company, company that uplifts us, is good for everybody, all dosha natures. Going into solitude and thinking of God, that's particularly good for pittas. They need, they don't need structure time. They need to get out of that structure and get into nature. To discriminate between the real and the unreal. That's something that's natural for pittas. Use what's already inherent within you, your swabhava, your swabhava, your innate nature, which you were born with, should determine your swadharma, your path towards the divine. Use your nature. Don't fight against your nature. Find out what your nature is and use that aspect of yourself. Go towards the divine. There's a question in in Indian um, uh, philosophy. Sometimes they say, why are there 333 million gods? This is a class. And the answer was, that's because each one of us is a divine and the population was 333 million. Each one of us has our own unique path to approaching that divinity. And lastly, Do all your duties, but keep your mind on the divine. And this is something that's natural for kafas; They have that ability of that nurturing component to do everything for their beloved. So use these things, these experiences, as a way to supplement your experiences in getting you grounded, in getting you centered, so that it just doesn't stop with the body and mind. It takes you back to your divine source. Thank you so much. So um, I encourage you to, to explore Ayurveda, to explore yoga, to use them to supplement your spiritual path if your path is Vedanta. And um, I think it'll give you a more holistic way of living a spiritual life. So I want to thank you for allowing me to share this experience with you. And thank you so much.
0: Let's close off with a chant. Om Saha Navavatu, Saha Nobhanaktu, Saha Viryam Karavavai, Tejasvi Navaditamastumavit Vishavai, Om Shanti, 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 Peace, Peace, Peace to all beings everywhere.
1: Last thing is, um, if you do want a textbook to read more about Ayurveda, a good one is Ayurveda and the Mind by David Frawley. He's a Westerner who's lived in India for many years. I love his writing style, very clear to the point.
0: Ayurveda and the Mind, David Frawley. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.